0: Hey, it's Matt Gundrum and you are tuned in to the Food Under Fire podcast where we explore grace and resilience in the food system. Today was one of those conversations where all I could do was sit and listen. Well, I mean, (laughs) that's what I normally do, but sometimes I have a guest on who has lived a life so differently than mine that I have to remove all my preconceived notions from the picture and just stay quiet. Growing up, I was consistently met with acceptance. I was always part of the in-group, and 90 or maybe even 95% of my peers were white. Race was never something I thought about. But things changed over time. As I saw injustices occur, as I learned about systemic bias, and as I had more conversations with people who looked differently than me. Today is a prime example of one of those conversations because it reminds me that starting at a young age, minority populations are often confronted with a long string of racially-infused incidents. Name-calling, harsh treatment, and sometimes even physical abuse. It continues throughout life and creates a distinct feeling of otherness, separation, and rejection. This is what people of color often refer to when they speak of trauma imagine going through each stage in life childhood adolescence adulthood and at each stage getting consistently berated at different magnitudes as someone who is a white male in america i try to keep these things in mind as i present these conversations to you i'm aware of where i stand and i always try to remain cognizant of that so please listen to my guest today really listen to her understand where she is coming from, and hear the truth in her words, you may very well benefit from her perspective. Before we get into today's episode, be sure to follow the podcast on the official Instagram page, which you can now find at Food Under Fire Pod. You can find it on Facebook as well under the same name. Keep in mind that I recently launched a Patreon for the podcast. Patreon is a service where for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to Food Under Fire merch. It's optional, but if you're interested, visit patreon.com slash food under fire. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash food under fire. You can find that link in the description. And of course, if you enjoy the show, consider subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You could also share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The podcast was recently featured in the top 100 food programs across all of Apple Podcasts, and that's all thanks to you rating the show, downloading, and listening. And for that, I can't thank you enough. According to the Oxford Dictionary, gristle is defined as cartilage, especially when found as tough and edible tissue in meat. But according to Jemetta Raspberry, gristle is edible, and for her, it's the best part. muscle tissue, fat, collagen, elastin, this is all classified as gristle in her book. The textures range from rubbery to chewy to gritty. However, more often than not, these bits are deemed unpleasant by eaters and are often skipped. There is actually a history behind the abandonment of gristle and other things like organ meat, especially in the United States. Looking back at history, the upper class members of society, usually rich white people, would eat only the cleanest, most high quality cuts of meat, while the slaves would be stuck with what were seen as lesser cuts. This eventually led to African American slave culture creating their own kind of cuisine, which was extremely resourceful, as they were forced to implement marrow, cartilage, and organ meat in their diet. Jometa is all too aware of this history, and it was a central part of her eating habits growing up. Jametta and her father would often relish in picking apart every bit from a chicken wing or a hunk of oxtail. However, in public, Jometa felt shameful doing such a thing. It was perceived as gross and unsightly. As she got older, Jometa began to see how ridiculous it was to feel shame about the way she eats. So she literally dedicated her life to creating a brand that celebrated Gristle. And you know what she called it? House of Gristle. Today, House of Gristle is a rapidly growing pop-up and catering operation run by Jemetta herself. Naturally, I wanted to learn more about her and her mission. So we decided to meet up at Cafe Weird in South Minneapolis to have a conversation. got to cafe weird at 9am on a tuesday. Jametta was there right as i walked in. Jemetta, hi. Hi. I'm Matt. Nice to
1: meet you. I'm Matt. Nice to meet you too.
0: We went to a reserved table in the back and began to talk. As we were doing so, we were served breakfast. Puff pastries, a side salad, and to drink,
1: creme caramel cafe au lait. Thank you okay, so much. Nice.
0: It was a delicious surprise, and when we finished, we finally got to recording. So anyways, we, okay. we, uh, we're at Cafe Weird right now, we literally just had breakfast, and while we were talking, you mentioned something that I wanted to bring up here, which was your your, your birthplace, which is Gary, Indiana, and I wanted to hear about that transition from there to here, here being, was it Egan that you mm-hmm. first ended up in? Mm-hmm. What was that transition <laughs> like? Because Gary is a little bit different than Egan. <laughs>
1: This is actually a phenomenal story um, okay. that I share a lot. Um, it, it, it was very monumental um, in my life. I will never forget the excitement of moving from or hearing the news that we're we're moving our family. We're getting in our van and we're going to move to a different state. And Gary, Indiana, was a like very dissolving city at the time. It was not, like, we were in the slums. We were one block away from Michael Jackson's house or childhood home, which is, like, a one-bedroom square house. Like, that's how the houses were. Wow. Just not a lot of room, larger families. Um, There's a lot of crime and poverty, so... We were going to move to Egan. I didn't know where that was, what it was. I didn't know what a suburb was. Um, I also didn't know white people, like, intimately or as friends. So I only saw them on Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers, and I really loved Mr. Rogers, so I was really excited.
0: (laughs) You thought all white people were, like, Mr. Rogers? Like, super
1: nice and just, like, quiet and clean and like (laughs) just like really excited to just be in a house and like have my own room and and yeah so I get here and you know it was that it was winter it was I was very curious and excited to go to school um and be with different people Asians and Indians and um this suburb so egan is like it was kind of diverse we were one of the first black families of like five oh my god <laughs> and we all knew each other um but yeah but i found out quickly that you know all white people weren't nice and <laughs> you know some kid um he called me the n-word in second grade his name was patrick zimmerman um i oh still remember. i do I do, I'll never forget because I, I thought it was a term of endearment and I go home and I'm like, so yes. <laughs> Patrick called me the N-word and I found, discovered that it wasn't that and it took me a while to process that because Patrick was cute and I liked him and I couldn't figure out why he didn't like me. So that was in second grade, you know, so it was just like a constant uncovering of like, suburban um, covert racism through this like happy, you know, we have everything life or what it seemed like. So it was a weird space to grow up in. um, But I'm so thankful for that transition because it was very intense. It was like, I'll never forget it, you know. And that was the beginning of a lot of clarity, building a lot of clarity for me. Um, but it took a long time for me to re- start resisting this, like, behavior from my peers or my surroundings. Like, this is not okay to treat people different than you mean, you know, or whatever. So, anyways, So you that was you So, you say it took a long time for you to be
0: in a state of resistance. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I raising. kind of i I started resisting doing small things. Um, you know, I would be that one in the uh, classroom raising her hand in during Black History Month and <laughs> saying, like, "We need this and we need that, you know, and I did that, but i didn't I didn't think I just thought that was like the right thing for me to do. It wasn't necessarily something that I felt comfortable with now it's like. I've evolved into this ultimate no stop, resist ba- boundaries. <laughs> this isn't okay, and calling it out. Um, so I'm I'm just calling it out more, and and trying to navigate and live um, in a diverse place. Because I love I love people. Like I love I love all people. I love white people a lot. Like all my friends were white. Like love them to death. And realize that, wow, we have a lot of work to do and I'm not going to do it by myself, you know, so whatever. It's kind of the majority of what I stand for um, in everything that I'm doing now. Right. So you're in you're in Egan then
0: growing up. Mm -hmm. What role did food play in that? other than eating it of course obviously yeah. but uh, was there was there a really significant cultural impact that you crossed upon when it came to food growing up yeah, and eating like yeah. w- when when did this interest in food begin was it was it then
1: it was it was my neighbors were from Guyana and they you know curry was their food and i smelled it and i was like what is that like totally obsessed with the smell I just wanted I wanted them to invite me over I would stand outside their house and like wait for dinner time I didn't want to go home and like eat my bland what I thought was bland fried chicken and greens and hot water cornbread or whatever it was like no I wanted to eat the goat curry um at my neighbor's house and one day they invited me for dinner and it was the best thing i ever had and they had garbanzo beans like fermenting in pepper probably for months or maybe even years i don't know but it was the hottest thing i've ever eaten in my life in your life in my life nothing has surpassed it yet nope blew <laughs> my mind blew my mind it was garbanzo chickpeas i had no idea what they were just regular chickpeas in like chili paste or whatever and i just i wanted that adrenaline rush and i could never find it and it was like this ultimate quest as a kid with a vivid imagination i'm like i'm going on a quest i'm gonna find this food again or i'm gonna find this spice level and um i couldn't find it i I just couldn't find it (laughs) to this day you haven't (laughs) found it yet (laughs) to this day it's like unless you make it yourself which you know what chef wants to do that uh that's the only way and so you know majority of the time i was making things that i wanted to eat and explore and didn't have the means or the resources to travel the world um as i grew up you know and became a chef and more um traveled then i was able to explore extensions of my culture and extensions of other people's cultures um, which helped my training and, and um, develop my palate just like any other chef, you know
0: right. So yeah. was it at this age that this idea of gristle started to kind of appear in it your mind did. as something significant?
1: It did and it was through it was through food shaming. it was mm-hmm. yeah it, it was so big in in my community. it was like we just people. The majority society would judge what people eat all the time. And we sucked bones and we like ate gristle. And then I'd go, you know, to my friend's house and they're like cutting it off (laughs) their steaks. And I'm like, what are you doing? And like throwing it away. And I'm like, oh my God, I cannot. Like, what if my mom finds out that people are doing this? Like we would get our asses kicked if you waste anything and like i didn't want to either it was flavorful it was gelatinous and good and so i felt like it was only something i could do at home or with my friend or with my close friends or whatever but i would feel so free when i was when i could really eat a chicken wing like i wanted to like gnaw down on it eat the bones like just whatever really dig into it and i felt it very liberating for me and so the gristle formed this kind of symbol in my mind um creatively was like all right when are you going to be able to eat that like when is that when when are you going to come out the closet as like a just flagrant chicken wing eater you know and as I came out the closet as a person, as an adult, as a mom, as a chef, um, Gristle started to take the forefront of it. Like, all right, what's this word? I looked it up one day in the dictionary, and they, it said, like, inedible pieces of meat. I object. Yeah, they got to the, change that <laughs> definition. They got to change that definition, you know? And I'm like, well, should I write them? And I'm really just like, I'm that person. I'm gonna start some trouble. And I think someone told me, sh- they, they said, no, yeah, you can write them and get the word changed. And by that time I looked it up again, they had changed the definition. Someone told them, but whatever. Um, it's not inedible. I enjoy it, um, but the the Also, the kind of definition of soul food is that same definition of, like, inedible things or things that were thrown away to the slaves is what created this cuisine. And um, I disagree. And I'm like, that's not historically correct. That's inaccurate. You know, the people who created American cuisines were the enslaved, they were black chefs, they were um, the chefs that we don't talk about at all. They created the, the things that we're eating in the ways that we're eating today and we don't give them credit, you know? So again, that gristle becomes a bigger story. Um, now it's what connects us together. So without gristle in that in our structure, our, in our anatomy, we'd be nothing. So gristle is the most important part of my journey now, yeah <laughs> that was the one thing I had to hang on to. I'm like, oh, I got gristle <laughs> like, other people have like their grandma's pasta, and i'm like i i got I got the edge of the chicken I got, wing. I got chicken cartilage <laughs> i got ch- <laughs> sorry I don't know why I think that's so funny right now but like it's totally on par with who I am too yeah. and like my crazy brain and um that's that's just the core of it that's the story
0: yeah but so so when I think of the the house of gristle name mm-hmm. and and gristle specifically yeah I think of this jay-z line mm-hmm. that he wrapped in like a drake song where he says triple entendre don't, don't even ask me how and that's what Mm -hmm. gristle reminds me of because it means so many things Mm -hmm. in the way in which you're using it because on a deeper more serious level i've i've read and you can correct me if i'm wrong here but gristle goes so as far as to portray yourself feeling like a discarded black woman of color Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and throughout her career like you're not new to this you've been in this industry for like 15 20 years like around that time Mm -hmm. and during that time you felt like I've read you felt like you were discarded, and gristle adds on a whole new meaning there mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. think about it in that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's the expression, fully House of Gristle is the expression of the black woman, i.e. myself. You know, this is all I have. Um, and this is the best I have, and this is the best of me, which I think is really super good, by the way. But um, <laughs> other than that, it's, it's it. if we didn't... Form our biases If we were to reject them When they come When they surface We could find so much Out about each other Like that's the whole point Is If you throw it away You'll never Find out Um, My experience As a chef Was always to push me to the back Like uh, go in Garmo Go And that's a huge experience As a woman Like Being on the line You always get asked To go work in Garmo And in pastry you Garmo should, meaning what? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I should <laughs> okay. I feel like I should know this But gar- I just don't Gar manger, Which is Salads Okay The okay, salad okay. station Or the cold oh, that's station That's a fancy term
0: <laughs> Damn Anyways <laughs> So yeah You felt like you were being pushed Back to that all the time Yeah
1: That's like a A quick way to segregate your kitchen Um, you know and the female chef will always be told like oh it's because you're um, because guys don't know how to handle salads they're too rough (laughs) you need your soft feminine hands (laughs) I'm sorry it just it sounds it sounds nice but not (laughs) it's like okay but does it pay more, you know? And no, it doesn't, that's entry level. So no matter what, you'd always start at entry level. You go to a new restaurant and you start at the bottom and all the guys would say, well, everybody has to start there. That might be true, but maybe they're only there for a couple weeks or a month or whatever, whereas you're just there, like like that's your career. <laughs> that's as far as you go um, so that, that's kind of the way that the all-encompassing experience but you never find out what that chef's capability is if you keep her in a certain spot and don't let her move around you know she's gotta fight the whole line to get to the end which is the grill master and usually, you never see a woman as a as a grill master. And there's plenty of women that I know that know how to grill, you know, and deserve to be up front and be the one people see when they walk in. So that was really important for me. And um, I don't know. So I just inserted that into the story of Gristle, Is this is going to be a full movement? A full, you know? rap song um not necessarily just the lyric which is very profound of you to say and i appreciate that for the comparison um but yeah
0: but yeah i couldn't help but think of that because like it's just gristle has so many meanings it seems in the way that you use it but it's interesting because you talk about this stuff and you're smiling and you're laughing it seems like you've just it's just kind of like a joke to you now but back when it was happening was it but was but was there some sort of internalized anger back then? Because yeah. it feels like I'm not really detecting any anger or bitterness from you now. Whew, that's a whole. Oh,
1: OK. But thank you. <laughs> thank you uh, that unless, you're not uh, detecting it. <laughs>
0: unless you're hiding it so well that like.
1: No, no. Um, I really appreciate that. That's a this is a moment because um, I've always been. Accused of being the angry black woman because, and I'm only just speaking, um, and that's a hard person to keep like battling or having to like take her down first in order for you to see me. So I appreciate you just seeing me for who I am, and that's just—it's <laughs> not that this is a joke, but that this is a part of my story. My story is really funny like majority of it has been just funny like once once you decide it once i decided to stick with it cuz i recognized it very early i'm like okay well this is now my life like i'm going to get up every day and i'm going to have to deal with joey or whatever <laughs> who's going to be talking shit today you know and i'm just going to do my job and do it well or maybe I'll shoot the shit with them majority of the time I'm shooting the shit with them and we're we're just trying to make it through the day you know because it was it's hard work it's like cooking is hard that was yep. where my passion was it was the outside things that didn't necessarily make it harder for me to do the job the job was done very well a lot of people I've worked with we've We've, like, rocked out some really awesome service and some really amazing food together um, with some good ticket times, all of that stuff. But, like, um, what was I going to say? I just lost my whole thought.
0: That's okay. Okay. But we're – I just find it really interesting that, like, I – said earlier you talking about this stuff and with no there just doesn't really seem to be any sort of you know bitterness towards yeah. these things that have happened to you like all the joeys that have come into your life and maybe <laughs> have treated you a certain way it's just like you're laughing now yeah and i
1: i've healed I, from it
0: well which is really good because i feel like especially you know starting at second grade when your first that's that true. first incident happened mm-hmm. it was probably just a string of them after mm-hmm. that it's a lot and to have healed from that is is, is pretty amazing. I feel like some people never heal from it.
1: No, I wouldn't, and I don't know, maybe it's just the, the process where I'm at right now. I wouldn't say I'm totally healed. A lot of that trauma fuels my work and and my vision of House of Gristle, that it's not just, this isn't about the food, this is about the experience. I wanna really invoke that, um, That put your put your head back like, oh my God, this food's amazing moment and that takes a lot more than just good food you need oh for sure you know what I mean like you need good people you need the lighting and the sound and um so the idea is to like look at things in a holistic way you know although my experience on the line was traumatic or some of it was traumatic a lot of it was really good and fun and um amazing but the those are just little spokes in the wheel like there's i big, I'm bigger than that you know that made me feel small at times and i believed it but i like, if the more I keep building on House of Gristle, the more I keep telling this story, Like I'm kind of unlocking those things. This is kind of deep. This is really deep. No, that's fine. Okay. (laughs) No, and to make it deeper, uh,
0: I think think it's interesting that you say that you haven't healed 100% from it, but House of Gristle is kind of you taking that pain and transforming Mm -hmm. it into something better. And I think that's the best thing that we can do I don't think we can ever sometimes really heal from our trauma right ever I think maybe the best thing to do is I use this word a lot because it's one of my favorite words we take that pain and transmute it into something better or good yeah so you know take someone takes their pain and turns it into music or they turn it into an inspiring film or someone like you who takes their pain and turns it into something like house of gristle works like yeah I've been discarded but now let me show you what I can do Mm -hmm. you know for Mm -hmm. real
1: mm-hmm yep
0: yeah that's really that's so the so then so then you know throughout your career when when this when these things were happening mm-hmm. at what point then did the house of gris or not even that that phrase specifically but at one point did you start having these thoughts of man maybe I should do my own thing was that always in your head the whole time or was that something that just came up in your thought process later in your career
1: that so I think fully it was like maybe five years ago I stepped out to... Um, I went from restaurants to catering. Catering's really the hustle. Like, that's that's where the money's at. It could be really fun catering. It's a lot of work. Um, but you can make a lot of money. Anyways, and from that, I went into private... becoming a private chef. Those gigs pay really good and you get more freedom on your off time um once i survived i think my first year of that because it was really scary it was like i need no i need a job no i have to work like i've got to work monday through friday or whatever and the the I have the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. Like, no, you don't, girl. Like, <laughs> like no, you don't. You got your bills are paid. You're fine. Like, breathe, relax. <laughs> You're OK. Um, and then I turn back. I'm like, oh, my God, I made it through a year. And I, that felt good. It wasn't like torture on my body, like the restaurant life or the catering life. Um, then I really had the time. I had the time to start dreaming about what House of Crystal would look like. And asking that question, which was how how does a chef survive um, outside of a brick and mortar? Because that was a, an important part of this. Was that um, it? It essentially took me ten years um, working in restaurants to break past ten dollars an hour. Like that that's a major fact that I can't avoid. <laughs> and I was a single mother of two. Like this is not that long ago. Um, it, it people should advocate for people like that like that was me once and I don't feel like I was incapable of understanding my worth or or anything that someone would say like well did you do this or did you do that like no I went to work and I tried and I did my best so I think I would one would deserve more than that you know based on it based on a lot of things Something is really terribly wrong with the restaurant industry and how we allow that. So, when I decided to do House of Gristle, I said, Well, I immediately want to try to resolve that problem or make it a space where you could get paid a fair wage and be yourself, I guess. You know, maybe that'll work. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we're still getting there, you know. So, like I said, just even the fact we're um, talking about opening opening a brick and mortar. Um, that wasn't even the plan. Was not the plan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but here you are. But I do want to share. I do want to have a space where people can go. So it's going to be more than just a restaurant. You know, there's the. But part of the plan is to have a lodging space where you can rent like an Airbnb or a hotel you know I think that would be great that's something that I would do mm-hmm. <laughs> on a Friday night or a Saturday you right. know and eat and have a good time and yeah
0: Yeah, just provide something different provide something that only that's, well, that's the fun thing about opening your own space it's a house of gristle space would be the representation of something that only Jemima Raspberry can provide, and right. no one else. And it, but at the same time, it would be something that only you could create. But it would be hyper inclusive to all. Like mm-hmm. it would just be so so welcoming. Yeah, would be really exciting.
1: Yeah, I I try to say it's like the utopia after the dystopia. What would that look like, and what would it feel like? Can we tap into that? Can I like give me my my paint brushes and paint and let me paint that picture and i think like i'm just like would i go yeah answer is yes would i spend a lot of money probably yeah because i do it even well i can't say right now like any spot that's open right now is good like you're you're good house of gristle
0: opened when again was it 29 it was 2019 20? So I mean, you started in 2019, mm-hmm. and then 2020 happens.
1: Oh yeah. It's, I mean, oh, yeah, that's
0: pretty. That's pretty crazy that you stuck through it all, and you just kept hustling, and you and you made it through. Because a lot of people didn't make it through. Some people left the industry; they went to do other things. But here you are, still doing it.
1: So I had the head start, right? Because I initially said, "How does a chef survive without a brick and mortar?" And then the pandemic happened. So I was like six months ahead of the game, already thinking. And yeah, I guess it was already kind of your mindset. It was already in my mind. It was
0: just like, well. But then it
1: was really like, oh my God, no, no, no. <laughs> like, really, how? Like, what do you do? Like, you can't, like, no one can get together. No one is going to have, I mean, some people had private dinners, they just couldn't take it anymore. But I, I started cheese and charcuterie on that as an answer. Cause I was in my apartment and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna just put some cheese in a box <laughs> and see if anybody wants it. And I put it online and like it went crazy cause there was no restaurants to go to at this point. So that's what held me through the whole pandemic was just like slanging cheese and charcuterie on the weekends.
0: Right. So then you have that in 2020 and then as a black woman of color you see one a, a black man of color get murdered. I mean the emotional trauma that that caused. I mean how did that affect your business? I mean did you just plow through that and at this point you were just used to seeing injustices like that or did a part of you just kind of snap or like it's just it's it's so interesting talking to people of color and asking them how they made it through that time. I've had other people on the program talking about the same thing. Yeah. And they and they always have their own unique story of how difficult it was. Yeah.
1: I was there. Like I was marching on the first night and my ki- I was with my kids and my nieces and nephews and and we just marched and I remember it raining so we were like, "All right, we're going to go back and just not gonna and I got in the car and by the time I got to my car and drove past like Lake Street or whatever it was more intense you know so that was just like day one and it just went on and on and I'm like not new to demonstrating that's usually kind of my instinct it's like all right go out Shut it down Do that Like Ever since Trayvon Martin It's just been kind of my natural reaction This particular time I thought it was really um, Intense And I didn't know I had to think about How could I serve my community best And I never thought to feed Like, like Feeding was like I thought it was like marching and protesting And it has been that It has been that for a long time. And this year I decided, let me use it and let me use, wield my power this way. And so I just like went online, was like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make some tacos. You know, if you got anything, show up. Like the first day was like five people. And we went out, we made like 500 orders of tacos and just gave them out at the square. Second day, we had coffee. I was like, all right, well, let's, let's try it again. Let's, let's do sandwiches or something. And, like, f- ten people showed up. Then it was an operation. Then it was, like, 15, then 30, then 40. Like, it was a full-on, like, all of a sudden, I have this full-on, like... <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> like, crazy. Wow. Like, community meal operation, and I'm, like, orchestrating it, which was a moment of, like, oh... Whoa! This is in this is nuts, because people did not have grocery stores. They had no gas stations. Like the need was absolutely real, and you did not know how long it was going to go for. I don't think I slept for like two weeks. I was just like making sandwiches, like and going out there and feeding as many people as I can. So that was like an incredible thing to be a part of for me um and to see like the community come together after that and that's what I started to focus on was like that togetherness and and what it took to to just wipe the slate whatever it was not necessarily rebuild on top of the old conversation I'm not sure where we're at with that but um just to see people come together and all the things that have came together afterwards just was my, that was my hope. Yeah. You know, and
0: it is interesting because what you created in that moment was very similar to what you want to overall do with Mm -hmm. house of gristle. Just Mm -hmm. bring people together Mm -hmm. and bring Mm -hmm. and create like this space for people to come to the food. You're right.
1: And it didn't matter about the food. It did not matter. We made Turkey sandwiches, (laughs) Turkey sandwiches, thousands and you know no not one was turned away that was to me crazy to see crazy to see when weeks ago or months ago we were I don't like that you know this this place sucks yelp like crazy you know that was our society and we forgot very quickly and I'm like I mean people did not care that was tough that's tough to see that's tough to like realize like this is my these are my these are my people like not the people on tv not anything else we're seeing the people we see every day are the ones that need us the most so community meals is my interpretation of how i could be um of value to society uh having a space that I can express my creative you know arts artistry and skills that would be cool before I die you know (laughs) I've raised the family did that guys (laughs) what more do you want you know (laughs) let me be great
0: (laughs) well yeah I think that's what you're on your way to being Yeah, I mean
1: especially without asking for permission I'm not asking for permission Matt right as you should just so you know yeah no
0: you shouldn't (laughs) But I mean, last year was certainly a trial by fire, and uh, I feel like if you can get through that, you can get through just about anything. I, I agree. always say that, but to people on this show. But like seriously, if you're still in this industry after that and you made it, and you're like not you know dead poor or something, like, yeah, yeah. What's you know what else could there possibly be?
1: Yeah, it yeah it. it, 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 it could be all kinds of things well knock on wood but (laughs) (laughs) let's not think about what else it could be it could really be anything um yeah i agree i agree that's the way to go it's like to me it's just one step at a time one day at a time i'm not trying to wrap my brain around things that i can't control so i'm gonna do things that bring me joy you know, and try to mind my black ass business. <laughs> That's as, all I want. <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, so yeah,
0: we just talked about last year and how crazy that was. So going mm-hmm. forward, your mindset is, you know, I'm not taking no for answer house of gristle, brick and mortar. What, what else is on your mind right now? What, what else are you thinking as you head into the, the future? This, this, this new future that we don't even know what it's going to look like yet. I mean, especially now as vaccines are happening and things are kind of, we can like see normal at the end of the tunnel, but we still don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Even with all of that, where is your head right now going into like 2021 and even
1: 2022? Yeah. So it's, it's house of gristle for sure. Um, Having, having some space that people can go to daily um, and then I'm thinking dinner parties Like creative Gatherings I think people coming Together Is The wave of the future Like <laughs> Sounds super weird Well it's not because we've been like apart
0: for like the past year. I know so people, people, people are starving for some sort yeah. of Community interaction I don't know if you've seen the news but in Miami shit has been popping yeah (laughs) and even (laughs) though and even though the authorities are starting to crack down that just shows you like how badly people like people are twerking in the streets over there I know I know Like you can't stop those motherfuckers. No. They're crazy.
1: No, 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 no. Yes, I, I. Oh my god, I agree so hard. Like, so, so, like what you see in Miami
0: is pretty much what everyone else wants to do. <laughs> but Miami is Miami. And
1: we're all just like living vicariously through, especially the person twerking on the street. Like, yeah. I was like, wow, we've reached the pinnacle of pandemic. Like, yeah, here we are. So, I that I would do that. I would have gatherings like that. I would also have gatherings where, like, there's one big long table in the middle of a park. I want to do stuff like that, like fun stuff. I want to have fun again. Like, hopefully, um, hopefully we can all find a way to do that. You know, really, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> really. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to process. So, really, other than that that's that's what's important to me and helping other people and I think in, in that proximity of me doing these things that I can show other women that you can have you can have a quality of life you know most importantly you can have a quality of, of life and feel good about what you do and have a creative space and also have a space where you feel welcome to dine and laugh and and throw your head back and, and taste good food and be with good people. So that's the idea. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think much
0: more needs to be said beyond good. that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. One more okay. last thing I want to add, though, is such an incredible example you're setting for women, but black women. As someone just creating this thing that is a representation of all of her trauma in a way that is healing and then sharing that with other people and helping other people feel feel. Included, yeah. I feel like that's a that that's a really good example for what people should do with that inner pain that they have, translate it into something that can serve others and heal others as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. Hopefully, I good. hopefully people see that and kind of like take that as inspiration and do their own version of it. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the most, like I said earlier, it's one of the most productive ways to deal with pain is to tra- like translate it into something else that yeah. then serves others.
1: Yeah and we need more we need more we need more people i need more places where i feel okay mm-hmm. you know because that trauma is, can be re-triggering and things like that yeah. so
0: it'll come it'll mm-hmm. come with time <laughs> we're all working on it <laughs> yeah together. exactly yeah well i really appreciate uh this conversation it was a lot of fun and really insightful for me
1: yeah thank you
0: Thanks for sticking around. All links to support Jameta will be in the description of this episode. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on the official Instagram page, which you can now find at Food Under Fire Pod. You can find it on Facebook as well under the same name. Remember that I now have a Patreon for the podcast. Patreon is a service where for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to merch. It's optional, but if you're interested, visit patreon.com slash food under fire. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash food under fire. Find the link in the description as well. And of course, if you enjoy the show, consider subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You could also share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Take care.